Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. Thanks for joining me each week on this podcast where I go in deep with experts in the fields of mindset, nutrition, and inspiring stories from all over the globe. This week's episode is different than some of the other ones because it is a recording of a speech that I gave at the San Francisco VegFest. What is a VegFest? Well, this was the first one I had ever been to, and really it was just a great excuse to go to San Francisco, but I really wanted to check out a VegFest. But what is a VegFest? Well, I wasn't really sure either until I showed up, and basically they had three different rooms where you could listen to different speakers speaking all day long, in all different fields, really. There were some athletes, there were some chefs, there was some medical people. I really loved it. And my favorite speaker was Chef AJ. I had previously heard her on a podcast before, but she's just a no BS awesome lady. And she talks about how to lose weight on a plant-based diet. So if you guys are interested in that, you should definitely check out her Facebook page, which I will link up in the show notes. They also had different tables and different vendors of people starting new businesses and people giving out free food samples. My favorite food sample was chocolate. They had dark chocolate quinoa, and while that's not considered a health food, I still really enjoyed it. And in fact, Chef AJ said, there's no veggies here. When are they going to put the veg back in VegFest? Because there was lots of treats at the VegFest, like chocolate milk and all kinds of popcorn and just different snacks that are delicious, but really not considered a whole food. This was my second time speaking publicly about my plant-based diet. The first time was at Sea Otter Classic in Monterey, California this year, and I spoke at the Goo Energy booth, and it was really fun to connect with new people and just show people that you really can thrive on a plant-based diet. And when I changed my diet, I got better and faster, but I'll let you guys listen to my speech before I give it all away. The cool thing about the VegFest was it wasn't an athlete audience. There were some athletes in the audience, but it was really neat to connect with people on all different levels. And I really loved the Q&A session afterwards because I got to connect one-on-one. If after listening to this, you have your own questions, please feel free to email me. And also I'm inviting you to join the Plant Powered Tribe on Facebook. It's a Facebook group that I started. Anyone is welcome. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet. It's basically just a really cool community group where we can talk about different things that we're doing or eating or just healthier ways of living because I've found that whenever you're trying to do really great things in your life, it helps to have supportive people around you and you've definitely heard other guests talk about that as well. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart to everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding website where you can support a show or a YouTube channel or whatever it is that you're listening to so that you can help make it better and just financially contribute. Even a small amount makes a big difference. Podcasting is actually quite expensive to produce, but I really believe in this medium and I really believe in just putting out great content that helps people be their best self. But this intro is rambling on and I'm sure you guys want to hear the speech. So here it is, my speech at the San Francisco VegFest. Thank you guys for being here. It looks like most of you guys in this audience or all of you guys are athletes. You all look really fit and healthy. So thanks so much. Lots of plant-powered athletes in here killing it on a, a daily basis. But yes, I am Sonia Looney. I am a professional mountain bike racer and I was the 2015 endurance world champion. And thank you. And um, 
um, there's a lot of different disciplines. Like cycling is a lot like running. You have all the different distances. You have off-road, you have on-road, you have track. There's just a ton of different ways that you can ride a bike or run or do whatever you like. So my world championship discipline was in 24-hour racing. Now what the heck is 24-hour racing? It means you have to erase your mountain bike for 24 hours straight without stopping. Yeah. I like sleep. In fact, I get grumpy if I get less than eight hours of sleep. So for me, this was a pretty big deal to actually stay up all night and ride my bike. And you have to have a pit. So basically you do laps, like you're like a hamster just going around in circles, which isn't my favorite type of racing, but you have a pit crew. And it's important to have a good team. And my husband was actually my pit crew. So he's also on the world championship team. He also had to stay up all night long while I rode my bike around in circles, trying not to die. <laughs> so yeah, that was great. But so a lot of people ask, you know, who are you? What do you do? And if you're at a party or if you meet somebody new, that's what people ask you. Who are you? What do you do? And that's actually a really difficult question to answer because a lot of people will say, well, like I'm an engineer, which I used to be, I'm retired now. And you know, people say that they do a lot of different things and it's hard to define ourselves by what we do for our work because that isn't necessarily who we are as a person. Or you could even take your sport. And a lot of people love lots of different sports. Like cyclists are pretty one-dimensional athletes. Myself is what I'm talking about. Like if I had to go run two miles, I'd be really sore and need a wheelchair the next day. <laughs> but think about this. How would you describe yourself if somebody asked you, who are you or what do you do? So I thought about that. So instead of introducing myself as a professional mountain biker, I like to also include who I am. And that's a hard question to answer. So I, when I was writing the speech, I thought to myself, I'm going to try and define this in a few words. So I'm somebody who defines myself based on personal growth and human connection and building community, which are all perfect things to be doing here at the San Francisco Veg Fest. There's so many great people here and great speakers to connect with. I know that after listening to some of the other speakers, I felt really motivated and inspired to be better. In fact, I went to Whole Foods and instead of getting some of the more exciting, unhealthy options. I had a giant salad and left out some of the like the croutons and things like that. <laughs> it helps, it helps to surround yourself with good people. But I'm also somebody who's very friendly and very extroverted and I live in Canada now. And I grew up in New Mexico and I lived in Boulder, Colorado. But when I moved to Canada, it was actually kind of hard because people there are very polite. The stereotypes of Canadians, there's one right there, it's very polite, that's what they look like. <laughs> and they tend to be, he's actually not very reserved. He had to introduce himself three times to me before I remembered who he was, but um, Canadians are very reserved. And so when I'd be in line with people saying hi, they're afraid of me because I'm like, hi, I'm Sonia. And they don't even realize that I'm talking to them. So it took me a while to realize that. And if any of you guys are trying to meet a Canadian, I got lucky when I moved to Canada. It was before any elections. That was just a happy coincidence. But if anybody's trying to find like the Canadian version of Tinder, I might be able to set you up with someone, but I will be collecting fees at the door. I saw people walking around with pizza so I can be bribed with food pretty easily. So, but what happened before I moved to Canada? Like a lot of things happened in my life before I moved to Canada. I moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was 22 years old and I wanted to become a pro mountain biker. But I didn't really want to work or normal job and I had just finished my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from UNM. So I thought, huh, Boulder seems like a good spot. I think I'm just gonna move there and see if I can get a fellowship and get someone to pay for my school and give me an excuse to move there. 
So I got into the PhD program in, <laughs> at CU Boulder, and I wanted to be a pro mountain biker, not a PhD engineer. So there was something wrong with this picture. But the importance of putting yourself around people and surrounding yourself with people who inspire you and who bring out the best in you is so important. And professionally, if you're trying to be something, putting those people around you really helps you grow and it really helps keep you on path, especially when things are hard. So I loved moving to Boulder because I figured out who I was there. Like I basically was really shy and I thought I had to follow this cookie cutter path in my life where you go to school, get your degree, buy a house. Like I thought I had to follow that path. But when I moved to Boulder, I realized, wait a second, there are lines that I can color outside of and I'm allowed to do different things. So that really inspired me to become a professional athlete because in my family, people thought, well, you're crazy. This is just a hobby. Like you have an engineering degree. Why don't you go do that? But I didn't want to do that. So surrounding myself with people that respected and supported my dream was really helpful. And it doesn't matter what you're doing, putting yourself around people who support you is so, so key. And that's the concept of tribe. And we all know what it feels like to have negative people around us that drag you down. And sometimes it's really hard to cut those ties, especially if it's your parents. Um, but no, seriously, it's just really important to surround yourself with good people. So I actually did not change my diet to a plant-based diet when I lived in Boulder, ironically. I don't know how that didn't happen. But I did later, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But I want to talk about the concept of change because all of us have made changes in our life. All of us who have changed our diet here, I mean, I'm sure not everybody here is eating a plant-based diet, and that's okay. But making changes in your life is really hard because there's lots of things we're afraid of. Like, what if we can't go back? What if the change is permanent? What if something happens that we didn't expect? What if it doesn't turn out the way that it was supposed to? And when those things happen, it's hard and it's figuring out who you are and what your expectations are of yourself, where you learn how to deal with those things. And I figured those out by taking on the hardest mountain bike races in the world, but you don't have to do those things to figure that out. So the key with making any change is number one, having a supportive group of people around you and two, realizing that you're going to be okay and that there is nothing constant in life except for change. And every single day we're changing, the seasons change. So just embracing change in your life. And a lot of people are very resistant to change. I've seen it um, in my immediate family. And I think that that is something that's helped me become who I am today is embracing change and also going after it. So I love this quote because whenever I decided I'm gonna be a professional athlete, so I was working as an engineer for a solar engineering company in Boulder. I was working for a startup and I wrote a blog post in 2007 about a backpack. I, I didn't even know people read blogs. And this company asked me to come be their national sales and marketing manager. I'd never done marketing one day in my life. And I thought, well, this is a big change, but I really want to do this. This feels like the right thing. And once I put the wheels in motion for that, my entire life changed. The entire trajectory of my life changed because I was pursuing my purpose and the thing that felt right and resonated with me. And whenever I did that, I started getting to travel around the United States and meeting people who also were like-minded. So building community, like if you go to multiple veg fests, you start meeting people. This is my first one, but you start meeting people who are supportive around you. And whenever I started traveling as a bike racer, I got to race in different places and meet people and it started feeling even better. But then I got to a point where I was working my job and racing, but that wasn't really serving me anymore. And I wanted to start traveling the world. 
So I had to be creative with that because most bike racers are completely broke and that's just, we, we love our sport, it's passion. And I thought, well, I'll become a writer now. Like I can be a marketing person, I'm gonna be a writer now. So I started writing articles for magazines and they would pay me to do that and then the race would give me a free entry fee. So a seven day race usually costs a couple thousand dollars if you're paying out of your pocket, which is pretty expensive. So I got to go and this was one of my first stage races. It was a seven day race in Brazil and I'm actually going back, I'm leaving in one week. But it was really hard. It was way harder than I expected it to be. There are days that I thought I was gonna collapse and days I wanted to give up. But those were the most important days because those are the days where you realize, wow, I actually can keep going. And then the next time it gets harder, and there have been other times, like at 15,000 feet in Nepal, where it is really hard. And you realize, wow, my experience and all the things that I've overcome up to this point have really helped me get over this next hump. So everything is so relative in your life. So this race is a race called the Yak Attack. And you can see why. The yaks don't attack. Actually, I barely even noticed that that was there. And when I got this picture, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a yak. And I think I was so hypoxic, I didn't even know what my name was. <laughs> but this race goes over the Annapurna circuit in Nepal. And you have to take your bike over 18,000 feet, 17,769 feet to be exact. And this was another example of being afraid and taking chances because no woman had ever finished this race before, ever. And I wanted to be the first. And I also had barely raced outside of North America. I had done that Brazil race, but that was pretty much it. So I didn't know anything about traveling to Asia. I went by myself. I went to Kathmandu and there was just like tons of crazy stuff happening there. But I would say that this race is one that's really defined my career. And I actually did a TED talk on this race and about how you define success in your life. So if you guys want to check that out, just Google my name and TED Talk and it's really easy to find. But this race was interesting because it didn't go the way that I had planned. And that happens a lot in life whenever you're trying to do something. And like when you have a five-year plan, for example, and your five-year plan is to get your PhD in engineering and you end up being a world champion professional mountain biker speaking at a vegan conference. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll let you guys watch the TED Talk about what happened next. But I did finish the race and it was a really cool experience. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. And then I decided, wow, this is pretty cool to go to third world countries. And this is a really good way to feel alive and to figure out all these different things about myself. So then I got invited to go to Haiti. I went from the highest race in the world to one of the most dangerous places in the Western Hemisphere. My family, my poor mom, you know, she's got more gray hair because of me, but <laughs> there's hair coloring for that, right? So I went to Haiti and I did the first and only mountain bike race that's ever been there. And I've raced my bike in the Sahara Desert and there's some wa more walking. I promise I actually ride my bike, but you had to race your bike across the Sahara Desert. And these are all just examples of one thing building upon another. When you start pushing yourself in, the, in one direction that feels right to you, you just start getting pulled. And it's hard to explain. I'm sure some of you guys have felt this way. When something feels right, there's, it's not an effort anymore to start pushing in that direction. It feels like something is pulling you in that direction. And then some things changed when I moved to Canada. And I'll get into that in more detail soon. But when I moved to Canada, I had to relearn how to mountain bike. And that was only four years ago. So it was 
an incredibly humbling experience because I was a pro. Like everyone was looking to me to be the, the fast person, the person that could do anything on a bike. And the sport there, as you can see, is a really different sport than what it is in a lot of other places. So I had to relearn how to mountain bike. I was the person who wasn't riding stuff when everybody around me, even like the amateur riders were. And it was really hard, but it was a great thing that happened because there's hardly anything in our life where as adults, we have to stop and relearn a skill. And it's such a great experience. And I'm experiencing that again, learning piano. Whenever you're learning something as an adult, it's frustrating. It's way harder than learning as a kid. And you have to learn how to break stuff down into steps and you fall down and sometimes you really suck. So it was a great thing. And it was a great example of how well it works whenever you dedicate your time and commit to working hard at something and not giving up because it's in that growth and it's in working towards something that really you feel like this really makes a difference, this really matters to me. And if you think in your life of all the things that you've done that actually mean something to you, those are the things that you really had to struggle for. And the coolest one I've done recently was in Colombia and I was there at the end of July for another seven day race. And it was great because Colombians are very fanatical about cycling. So you go and you finish a race and there's thousands of people at the finish line and everybody wants your autograph and it's on ESPN. There's like little girls holding the sign with your name on it. You never see that here. <laughs> yeah, so that was amazing. But then how did I get to where I am today? So I told you I moved to Boulder, I changed my job, I started racing around the world, but then what happened? Well, I was at a bike race in Vancouver. It was my first time in Canada with all the friendly Canadians. They are friendly. They're just a little reserved. So I met this guy over here, Matt, and he has had a profound impact in my life that I never could have imagined because number one, I couldn't ride a bike. I basically was running every downhill because it's Canada. But number two, like we ate dinner together and I saw him eating these plates of food. I was like, what is he eating? It was a giant, just like a pyramid of just beans and vegetables and all kinds of this stuff. And he was doing a seven day race. And I thought, how is he even eating that stuff and surviving this thing? Like this is an endurance challenge. You have to eat real food if you're gonna finish this thing. So I said, well, what are you eating? And he said, oh yeah, like I'm a vegan. I changed my diet a few years ago or a year ago. And I watched this great documentary called Forks Over Knives. You might wanna check it out. My initial reaction was not, Oh, awesome. It was, oh no, it's like another effing vegan, like all the people in Boulder. No, I liked you. <laughs> but, you know, I forgave him for that. And, and this is a really great example of making change and inspiring others around you to make change because a lot of us that eat a plant-based diet are very passionate about our food. <laughs> and we always, and the joke, you know, we all know the joke, oh, how do you know? If someone's a vegan, they'll tell you, but it's true. We will tell them. <laughs> and we're really passionate about what we're eating. So he did it in a really great way that didn't turn me off. And the reason why I had never considered it before is because people who had told me about eating vegan diets had completely turned me off to it because they were way too, way too forceful, way too like, this is the hard line in the sand. But Matt was very inclusive and very much just out of, be curious do your own research and watch this documentary. And I admit that it took me about a year to actually watch the documentary. Um, but the thing that kind of piqued my interest was he said, well, like if you want to lose weight, 
because all cyclists want to lose weight. Like the joke is we want to just like lick a doorknob so we get sick and we can, because people get really jealous of being skinny and that's because you go faster uphill. And if you look at all the Tour de France riders, like those guys are tiny guys. So at first I thought, wow, like this is pretty sweet. I could lose weight and go faster uphill. Uh, I'm still not really motivated. So then I watched Forks Over Knives and I had never linked health to diet. Like I read women's health and I knew like, yeah, eat more vegetables, eat this and that. But when I watched that documentary, it completely changed my perspective on what it meant to eat. Like eating it, food is medicine, the Hippocrates quote that every vegan speaker has on their speech. So I, that's why I left it off of mine. <laughs> so I, I watched this documentary and then I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to do my own research because engineers are skeptical people. <laughs> And yeah, my dad's one, so it's really hard to convince him about anything. So I decided I'm gonna contact somebody else that I know who's an expert in health and who's very skeptical. So I called my friend who was a PA and his nickname was Mr. Science. So I knew that he was probably gonna laugh in my face when I told him about this documentary. And instead, it was weird. I remember exactly where I was sitting when I called him. It was actually 11 o'clock at night and I can't believe he actually answered. But he said, yeah, like I've been eating a vegan diet for six months and my entire family has as well. And I have kids. And I thought, wow, like even kids can eat a vegan <laughs> diet. This is pretty sweet. So I thought, okay, I'm going to change my diet. But now what, how do I even do this? Like what happens? I'm a pro endurance athlete. What happens if I get not enough protein? And what if I shrivel up into some wimp? Like, how am I going to do this? So I, I seeked out some resources and the first was the Forks Over Knives cookbook and Engine 2. And right now there's so many amazing examples of what it means to be a healthy vegan athlete. And there's so many great cookbooks with so much good food. So I started cooking out of those cookbooks and the change was hard for me to make. Like it wasn't like, oh sweet, I'm just going to change my diet and tomorrow I'm never eating an animal product ever again. For me, I had to start slowly and so I committed to eating more meals per week. So I said, okay, one meal a day, I'm allowed to eat animal products if I want to. And the rest of the time I'm gonna eat plant-based. And then I can dip my toe into the water and see how I feel as an athlete too, because it's a big commitment to change your diet and see what happens, especially when at that time there weren't a ton of um, endurance athletes who were vegans. And that was about four and a half years ago. So it was great and I started realizing that I didn't even want to eat the animal foods anymore. They didn't taste good to me and I felt better whenever I ate plant-based. I lost a little bit of weight which made me get faster on my bike, but it wasn't just losing weight that made me faster. It was all the physiological changes that happen whenever you change your diet. And I'm not gonna do a lot of on that because there's lots of people who are way more qualified than I am to talk about physiology and the, the medical side, but Eating a plant-based diet makes you recover faster. And whenever you're eating animal products, you get a lot of inflammation in your body. In fact, I, I did a food allergy test right around when I was changing my diet and I realized that people freak out about gluten, but I was very allergic to eggs and I didn't even realize it that from an inflammation standpoint. So eating a plant-based diet reduces inflammation, which means that your body can focus on recovering from your workout. Because like if you're lifting weights, you're running, you're doing all these things, you're basically breaking down muscle fiber and your body needs to heal itself and that's how you get stronger. But if your body is too busy trying to figure out how to deal with all this inflammation or all these things that are in your body that are making you sick, your body's not going to be able to dedicate more time to recovering as an athlete. So that's been amazing for me, especially as someone who does multi-day races that are sometimes five to eight hours a day of racing. And that was great. 
So I got to this fork in the road. I, I was changing my diet. I met this Canadian guy. I was on this team where I wasn't really, it wasn't really working for me. I didn't really want to do this job anymore. So I came to a major fork in the road and I had to make a choice and make a change and commit to that change. So in one year, and this is a bit extreme whenever I say it out loud, but in one year I changed my diet. I moved to another country, Canada. I got married. Um, I quit my job and I started my own job business and I quit my team and that was all awesome. <laughs> and it was hard. Like, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, it was really easy. Like I, there was times whenever I was about three months into changing my diet and I remember standing in the kitchen with Matt saying, ah, oh, it's just so hard. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to eat whenever I want a snack. And that again comes back to having support and having really great people around you who share the same core values. Because whenever you have someone around you that says, well, yeah, like eat some hummus and some vegetables, or you can make a, a sandwich with nutritional yeast and tomatoes and cucumber and eat that as a sandwich. Like it's really helpful just to have that. And the great thing about social media is that now, because all of our lives are online, it's really easy to connect with other people and to build community online. And if you're lacking in motivation, like there's a lot of people who have changed their diet, but then they kind of slip back in the old habits and it's, it's easy to do and people can be really hard on themselves for doing that, but it's okay. You just have to kind of get back on and get back to where you were going and just steer the car back in the right direction and surround yourself with people. And I also think that podcasts and audiobooks and things like that are really great for helping you stay on track whenever you're trying to do something. So I love the way plant-based food looks and Whenever you go to a restaurant, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, like everyone around you orders like the chicken or the fish or whatever. And you can say to the chef, hey, can you make something extra for me? Just that's not on the menu because I want to eat a vegan meal. And usually they say yes. And it's a little bit uncomfortable at first when you start asking in front of people and all those, like there's a lot of social things that are uncomfortable when you first change your diet. But your food comes out looking like this. And their food comes out with this like brownish beige looking thing and like some... <laughs> some bread and they look at yours and say, wow, that looks good. <laughs> or if you go to a party and you bring your own food because there's not going to be anything there for you, people always eat what you bring and you're like, I brought that for me <laughs> because it's good. People, we know in, deep inside our mind, we know that this is the right food for us and that's why we're attracted to it when we see it. And that's why all these crazy processed food, food companies put color, fake coloring into food to make it look good. So it looks like this but it's really not. And I'd like to talk more about being a, a vegan athlete because a lot of times people think if somebody looks healthy, that they're healthy. So regardless of what they eat, if they're fit, if they're ripped, if they're fast, if they're strong, oh, well, that person is definitely the model of health. But then you hear people dropping dead at the age of 40 doing their sport. So it doesn't mean that you're healthy if you look healthy on the outside. It's what's going on underneath the hood. And that was something that was really an eye-opener for me when I changed my diet because I thought, wow, like I thought that all these people that I look up to that are really like muscular and fast, that they're healthy. But a lot of times they're not. And a great example is one of my really good friends. And I told him about my diet because, of course, I'm going to tell everyone about my diet now. I'm one of you guys. Yes. So, so I told him about my diet. And he said, wow, and he's a top-level professional endurance athlete as well. And he now lives in Japan, but we were both living in Colorado at the, uh, whenever we met. And he said, wow, like, I actually have high blood pressure. 
And this is a top level professional endurance athlete. And most people don't know they have high blood pressure because it doesn't feel like anything. You just happen to have high blood pressure. So he changed his diet and now he has healthy blood pressure. And that's an example of what's going on underneath the hood. You don't really know. You could be a top level athlete and just not know. And another cool thing that happened recently is there's this company called Inside Tracker. And basically what they do is they, they want to work with athletes and they'll come to your house or you can go to a medical center and they'll test your blood. And they have all the different biomarkers and they say, this is optimal for athletes. There's an optimal level for the general public, but there's also an optimal number for athletes. So I got my results back and they recommend diet not necessarily plant-based diet, but they have plant-based, like they ask you how you eat and then they make recommendations based on that. So they looked at my results and of course I'm not perfect. Like there is some things in there that I need to work on, but they said, we've tested thousands of athletes across all discipline of sport with all different diets and your results are the best we have ever seen. And yeah, and that was a great, a great, just confirmation of, hey, like I am doing the right thing. I'm, I'm fast and I'm, I'm doing well as an athlete, but I am really healthy. And this is really cool that we can eat this way and it helps us as athletes, but we know that we're healthy because a lot of people will eat, like it's crazy, especially I'm not a triathlete, but in the triathlon world, I've been hearing about this a lot. People eating like ketogenic diets and high fat diets. And even at the airport on the way here, I was talking to the baggage handler because when you travel with your bike, they open it up and ask you if you have CO2s and all the, the whole nine yards. And Canadians aren't reserved when you have a bike going through an airport. <laughs> they will always ask you, what's in the bag? So the guy said to me, oh, like, what are you doing? And what are you guys doing? So we said, oh, yeah, we're going to go speak at this veg fest. It's going to be really cool. And he said, oh, well, I eat a high-fat keto diet. I've lost 35 pounds. I had 16 eggs in the last 24 hours. And I'm standing there just like, don't react. Don't be judgmental. Yeah. And he thinks this is healthy because he's lost weight. So there's a lot of athletes or, or just people in general that think if I'm losing weight, like Atkins diet, paleo diet, all these things, that they're healthier. And they are probably healthier than they were when they started because they've probably cut out processed foods and they've probably cut out certain things. But what they're lacking is the vegetables and fiber. And with Paleolithic Man, I, I have a podcast and I interviewed Brenda Davis, who's an amazing, awesome lady who actually lives in my town. And she wrote the book Becoming Vegan, which you guys should definitely check out. It's like the most awesome textbook ever on plant-based diets. So she was chatting and on the podcast and she said that paleolithic man ate more fiber than most vegans today because there was hardly any meat that they could even find. They, they would only eat it when they could catch it and only in small amounts. And the majority of their food was plants. So paleolithic man, if you're going off the paleo diet, actually ate very high fiber, mostly wild vegetables and, fr and fruits and things that they could get their hands on. Kind of off topic now. <laughs> However, yeah, so just because you lost weight doesn't, and eating this other diet doesn't mean that you're healthy. So that's something that you could say to people if they're asking you about that, because that is a common question that comes up is, well, I eat this way and I lost weight, therefore I'm healthy. So getting your vitals checked, getting your blood work done, that's pretty important. And I want to talk about some stats and just a few, because I'm not the guys that did What the Health. And if you guys haven't seen that documentary, I think that this is actually one of the most 
impactful documentaries that I've ever seen and that I've ever heard of. Because after it went on Netflix, there's all these people who knew that I ate a plant-based diet and they all started coming to me saying, wow, I watched What the Health. I'd really love some information from you on how to change my diet. So like if people just made a small change, if people in the world didn't go 100% plant-based and they just made this much change, think of how much impact this would have and think of this, like almost everyone that we know, we've known somebody who's gotten sick, who's had heart disease or cancer or all these different things. And it's not always attributable to diet, but a lot of times it is. And people that have diabetes. And if people just made really small changes, just start trending in the right direction, it would really change these numbers. And the goal, of course, for us, we would love to see everybody eating that way. But it's important to be inclusive and I'm going to talk about how to help people make changes because as, as vegans, it's really difficult sometimes to have these conversations because, again, we're very passionate and we really believe in what we're talking about. So I think about it when people talk to me as trending in the right direction. And this is kind of funny. So this is my first VegFest and I didn't tell anybody I ate a plant-based diet in my community until January of this year. And the reason why was because I was afraid that people were gonna judge me and I was afraid that people thought I would be judging them. And I didn't wanna alienate people by telling them what I ate. And like, if people asked, I would tell them and they would notice what I was eating, but I didn't go on, on the record, like on my social media and writing blog posts and all this stuff talking about my diet. So I thought, you know what, I need to be brave. If I am being brave and doing epic shit on my bike, I got to do this in my life. I got to stand up for what I believe in and stop being so afraid of it and stop being so afraid of hurting other people's feelings. So I wrote a blog post and I press, press publish and I felt really nervous when I hit the publish button thinking, oh, what's going to happen when I do this? And an amazing thing happened. I had zero people say something negative to me about what I put out there. Zero. What I did have and what I wasn't expecting was I got over a hundred emails and I still get emails on a weekly basis from people saying, wow, like this is amazing. I want to eat this way too. Can you help me? And that was completely unexpected. And they said that the reason that they felt that way is because of how I wrote the blog post, because it just said, Hey, like, here's my story. I'm not perfect. This is how I did it. And this is why. And it really impacted people. And that's a really cool thing that all of us have in this room is that we're all leaders. All of us are leaders. Whether you eat a 100% vegan diet or not, you're interested in health and you're interested in, in animals and you're interested in becoming a better version of yourself. So we're all examples. And that's also a really important responsibility because right now we have such a, a great chance to impact people in a positive way. So being inclusive is, is important and not being judgmental of other people there's a, a lady that was texting me this morning and I'm actually staying with her next month. And she, I said, Oh, I'm speaking at this veg fest. I'm so excited. And she's like, wait a second. I didn't know that you ate that way. And she just forgot. Cause I actually, we actually had this whole conversation about a year ago. <laughs> Apparently I wasn't impactful enough, but, um, she was like really nervous about me coming to her house and like, what am I going to cook? What am I going to do? And that's also a common thing. Like whenever we go stay with somebody or they invite us over to dinner, how do you go over there without offending somebody? Cause they're inviting you into their home. So what I did was I said, Hey guys, like, or Hey, don't worry about this. This is what I eat for breakfast. Like oats are always good cereal, but for the other meals, I want to cook for you. I want to cook for you. 
And most of the time, whenever you cook for people, they actually really like what you made. And then they get curious and then they buy the cookbooks and then they start eating a few recipes per week. And then before the, you know it, they're eating vegan. And that's happened to me a lot of different times. So that's how I broached the subject is I didn't say, oh, well, I, I just can't eat anything you have. And it was uncomfortable for me to have this conversation. But I think that was really important. Top five performance enhancing foods. I actually wanted this to be in a different order. So that's my fault. But... <laughs> I thought to myself, I should probably include some of the things that I think are really important to eat and tell you why. And some of these are from Dr. Greger's How Not to Die and Watching Nutrition Facts and his Daily Dozen app. And if you guys aren't familiar with his Daily Dozen app, I highly recommend it. It's free. It just gives you a list of foods to eat on a daily basis to add into your diet. So I like eating nitrate-rich vegetables because they help enhance blood flow. They help relax the, the lining of your veins and arteries. Arugula, beets, and kale are really great examples. Kale is also a cruciferous vegetable, like broccoli. And cruciferous vegetables are rich in something called sulforaphane, which is, has great anti-cancer properties. And it's like a major, major great superfood to eat. So I eat all of these things on a daily basis. And I, there's a lot of studies about beets and arugula and nitrate-rich vegetables where if you eat them two to three hours before an event, you actually perform faster. There's a lot of different things like showing runners taking time off their 5K times, cyclists riding their bike faster, and it's because it helps your body move, move blood and absorb oxygen more efficiently. I like turmeric because it's an anti-inflammatory, and there are some studies that show that it works better than ibuprofen and without the negative effects on your organs. So I include turmeric... How I include it is I'll sprinkle it on food when I'm cooking or I'll put it in a, in a smoothie. So if I'm making a green smoothie, I try not to have too much fruit in my smoothies. I usually put like half a cup of mango, some greens, turmeric, ginger. Sometimes I add in a protein supplement and that's a question I get asked a lot is do you, how much protein do you get per day? How much protein should I be eating? When do I need to supplement protein? Which are all great questions. Do you guys want me to answer that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So the rule for protein, and there's all these different rules, but getting on the high end, 1.6 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight if you're an athlete. So I get anywhere from 70 to 100 grams of protein per day. Now, where do I get my protein? It's in pretty much everything you eat. And if you look at things by percentage of calories, broccoli by percentage, I think it's, I can't remember if it's calories or weight, but by percentage, broccoli and, and spinach have more protein than like a steak based on weight. So I would definitely look at that whenever you start eating your greens, which you should eat a lot of. And like sometimes when I eat leafy greens, I just sit there and I just like eat it like chips, like out of the, <laughs> out of the thing um, because it's good. And a lot of times when we want a snack, sometimes we're not actually hungry. We just want to kind of do this. And if you really need to do that, doing that with spinach is better than doing it with chips. So there's proteins in greens. There's proteins in beans. There's protein in grains. I like a sprouted multigrain bread and one piece of bread has seven grams of protein. My oats in the morning, I have seal cut oats with hemp hearts and ground flax and that has about 20 grams of protein in it in the morning. So it's actually quite easy for me to get that much protein. So if you're trying to figure out how much protein you're actually getting, I'd recommend using one of the websites that track all of your macronutrients and don't worry so much about the number of calories because it's easy to get neurotic about that. Just look at the macronutrient breakdown and make sure that you're getting the 1.6 to 2 grams per kilograms of body weight. 
And also as seniors, seniors need even more protein. And I would recommend checking out Brenda Davis's book on that because I'm not an expert. I haven't read up a lot on that, but she did say that to me. Okay, moving on. Hibiscus tea. It is the highest antioxidant drink you could have. Um, it's really good. I like taking it on the airplane. So a lot of times on the plane, they have like really gross tea and coffee. So I'll bring it on the plane. And ground flax is amazing at lowering your blood pressure. It's the best possible thing. Like Matt has actually used it and done some testing on himself and has seen a difference in his blood pressure as well. So yeah, it's, it's really great. Now this meant to go back one slide, but I'm talking about inclusivity again and how to help people make changes. So again, the key is not to alienate people and be too too opinionated about it and just say, hey, step one, start adding in more fruits and vegetables into your diet. Here's some recipes. Come over to my house. I'll make something for you. And step two is when they want to get further down the road. What happens is people going back to the, the how you define yourself. There's a guy that changed his diet and he said to me like, I'm the meat guy. I'm the guy that like barbecues. What are people going to think of me when I'm not the meat guy anymore? And who am I going to be when I'm not the meat guy anymore? So that's cool. You're just going to be the plant guy. Like it's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like people worry about their identity. They worry about what other people think about them. I was one of them and I still am. And also, yeah, like people will change their diet. They're talking to you about it. They're like, yeah, like I've changed my diet. I've been eating this way for a month. And then sometimes they kind of slip off the wagon a little bit. And this happened with one of our friends and she's like, yeah, like I just, I was too tired and it's hard, it's hard to do it right if you don't have the right resources, like eating whole foods, plant-based diet and making sure that you stick to that. And number two, as athletes, a lot of times we don't get enough calories. And when athletes change their diet to a vegan diet and they say, I don't feel good anymore, it's because they're not eating enough. And it's hard if you're eating whole foods plant-based, like it's high volume eating, you feel full and maybe you haven't gotten that many calories. So adding in some of the more calorie dense foods that uh, Chef AJ was talking about, that she, good thing she's not in here because I get in trouble, but eating more of the nuts and avocados and things like that is a really easy way to add more calories into your diet if you're trying to increase your energy as an athlete. But you don't wanna eat too much fat because you don't want more than 30% fat in your diet. So what happens though is like people will slip off the wagon and they're, they're like embarrassed and they come to you and they're like, I changed my diet, but I had to go back because of whatever the reason. And they're really worried if that that's a really important moment because they're worried about what you're going to say or what you're going to think. And you just tell them like, it's okay. It's okay. Like this is not black and white and you are working on this and just keep eating more fruits and vegetables and just keep working at it. And feeling included, feeling like you're part of something, even if you don't wear the label of I am a vegan, I am a plant-based athlete or, or whatever, like they don't have to wear the label. And I think the label intimidates people because it's so all or none. And it's like, it's just intimidating. And I love this. So this is a Japanese philosophy called Kaizen. And I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's basically making incremental changes on a daily basis so that you can get better at something. So if you have a ship and you're sailing in this direction, and you change the direction just this much, in a week, you're gonna be way farther off than if you had just started in this direction. So if you're going this way with your diet and you wanna make a change, and, and you can use this example for people, and you wanna change just this much, that's gonna be huge because now you can rotate this way and it's gonna take you in a completely different direction and it's gonna make a huge difference on the planet. Like environmentally, food agriculture, if you guys have seen, I got these from uh, Cowspiracy, but cow, like, Food agriculture is the worst thing for our planet. 
And even if people just made small changes to their diet, and hopefully eventually bigger changes, but just if everybody made a small change, the Kaizen 1%, 2% change in their, their diet, these numbers would be a lot better. And creating culture around you where people can ask you questions, people can be a part of it. I started a Facebook group a couple weeks ago that you're all welcome to join, it's free. It's a community where people can just talk about what they're eating, I said to people, you don't have to eat a plant-based diet to be a part of this. And I think that that's another important part of inclusivity is you can come join this and you can just find, get resources, meet other people, find healthy recipes. So you can do this too. And I have a podcast. You guys should check it out. It's called the Sonia Looney Show. It's about mindset, plant-based nutrition and sports, but having access to cool podcasts, there's tons of awesome podcasts out there, especially about eating plant-based and being healthier in your life. Um, I think that all of our senses, what you look at, what you hear, what you say, those all make big differences in the overall picture of your life. So I'm happy to connect with you guys. I'm all over social media all the time. All right, guys, thanks so much for coming. We'll see you outside. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for listening to that speech. I hope you guys enjoyed it and that you got something out of it. But if there's something that you have a question about, please do not hesitate to send me a message. I'm really happy to answer your emails and to help as much as I can. And again, check out the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group that is in the show notes on my website. I'm actually in Brazil right now and I'm about to do a race called the Brazil Ride, which is a seven day mountain bike stage race. And I'm racing it with Gordon Wadsworth in the mixed team category. This will be my fourth time to Brazil and my fourth time to this race. This is one of my favorite races, but I haven't done this race course. This is a brand new race course. Last year was the first year, but they changed it up. But previously it was the hardest and longest stage race I've ever done. The last time I was there was in 2014, racing the women's team category with Nina Baum and we won the race and our race time was 34 hours. But I love the culture in Brazil and I'm really looking forward to the juices because they make amazing juices and they blend it with ice. So I will be drinking a lot of mango juice while I'm there. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in and thanks to those of you who have left iTunes reviews. They really help out a lot with other people finding the show and it's also just nice to get some feedback on what I'm doing. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures and we'll see you back here next week.